award ceremony thing. I think views will go up considerably more uh, just for both like this and the Academy if they switch to streaming more and probably yeah. like less commercial. Like you see lately that commercials are like uh, I think our current attention span it's not for that. I tried I tried watching <laughs> 4 hours of commercials. <laughs> yeah. I tried watching some stuff. There was like an app for like the CW is like free or whatever. It's called CW yeah. Seed and they just like you don't have to sign up for anything. It's just access to free shows from there. The only thing is that it still plays like regular commercials. Yeah. And, and I, then you have to watch CW shows. <laughs> I just mostly grabbed it cuz I was like I want to watch old episodes of Whose Line Is It Anyway? I miss I miss that show. That is important. That is important, that's, even if the points don't matter. Yes, that's that's the only show I cared about for. Though. I literally downloaded the app solely for that. I mean, it's a great show. I I spent a lot of time in the '90s thinking about becoming an improv comedian. <laughs> <laughs> I I believe that. I see why it didn't work out, though. Uh, I do too. I, it's actually, it's kind of funny because I used to we'd go regularly up to bellingham because it's you know it's only an hour drive from where we live and you know that's where ryan styles largely you know he lives mostly there and he has a, an improv club uh, over there mm-hmm. so we've seen him a couple times i like going to improv there. shows yeah when, when like uh, you said you had a big question for me oh at yes the start of the show yes i did say that because i need i need your help with something okay so i i frequently rent films from the library and usually they just sit on my shelf for weeks and weeks on end because I just put them off and get to other things on streaming. But sometimes when they don't renew automatically or, like, someone puts a hold on them, then I'm like, ah, oh, shit, i got to watch this now. And I'm I'm trying to find the motivation. I'm hoping you can help me. I want you to sell me tonight on my, oh, my own private Idaho. Okay, my own private Idaho. You want the sales pitch? Yeah, I need to be convinced because after the podcast here, I'm probably going to have to sit down and watch it because i got to go bring it back tomorrow. Um, well, I already know you're big into Shakespeare, and it's the most interesting interpretation the northwest will ever receive mm-hmm. I, did, I did a little bit of reading ahead of time like i was like oh portland that's literally where i am and then it's so, yeah my sales pitch is that you like midnight cowboy you like shakespeare you like the pacific northwest right yeah so, yeah i mean that that crosses a lot of interest that our site has in general and my own private idaho is the best thing gus van sand ever did um i think it's river phoenix's greatest acting um it shows so much potential that we never got afterward mm-hmm. i mean you say that about a lot of his performances really you know the same people yeah see people say that about stand by me as well right you could but i think this is really transcendent river phoenix mm-hmm. i and think it's interesting going into joker too seeing how um joaquin's kind of channeled whatever he was doing here mm-hmm. i think that's generally what we felt like with joaquin phoenix like Joaquin Phoenix gets so much praise as an actor nowadays. Like, I think almost more than anyone. Like, he's he's only second to Daniel Day Lewis, probably. Yeah, I think so. As far as like dramatists go, he's he's held in such high regard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess like, and I think it's interesting that largely we don't credit that to River because that's really great. You know, it's it's Joaquin. He's his own person and actor, and obviously doing his own thing. But certainly, it's a, it's kind of amazing that they both had such a prolific uh you know uh, acting careers even though I mean, rivers are short yeah it's interesting looking into the joker that you have like the like the ghost of heath ledger and river phoenix two of the stars that were really transcendent that passed way too soon mm-hmm. yeah. but I, I think i'd uh, i mean it has great keanu reeves in it i mean there's so much that you're going to like i've seen clips uh, i've seen bits here and before like I, i've been sold on my own private Idaho obviously enough to 
you know, rent it and want to check it out. And of course, I hear you talk about it all the time. Uh, you wrote a great retrospective on it for the site. But, um, you know, it's just like right now, like I hate that feeling where it's like, ah, I wasn't quite ready to watch this yet, but now I don't really have a choice. And I got to, yeah. I have to force myself to be in the mood for it. <laughs> It's almost like you have to look at it in the context of the Shakespeare conversations we were having. There is some really good stuff with a mm-hmm. with a flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers going through some classic Shakespeare renditions. That's interesting. He pops up in like the weirdest things. He does. <laughs> <laughs> but Always yeah. when you're least expecting the flea. Right. Uh, yeah, I know it's a... I don't know how much it's based on Shakespeare. I know it's like taken quite a lot out of context. Because I read, like when I looked up IMDb here, it's like Henry the Fourth, I think. Yeah, I'd say there's some stuff that seems that it's that it's playing like a drama straight out of Shakespeare, and then there's just the general overtones of what it would look like in the modern day. Uh, I wouldn't expect, you know, like a theatrical reading or anything. But. Mm-hmm. And you and you said you like this as your favorite Gus Van Sant film. I know Gus has done lots of weird, different kind of projects and stuff, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't think I'm as familiar with his work as I probably should be, but I know this is like a seminal one. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff like Elephant, and then uh, last year we had a we had a Walking Phoenix, and what's it called? Uh, uh, that that title I could never get to. Don't worry, he won't get far on foot. Oh yeah, 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 that one. That one's incredible too. Um, and he had yeah, Elephant was a big one, and what was it? Paranoid Park, and uh, he had that Psycho shot for shot remake. Right, right, which was more of like an experiment thing to see if it would work like in a modern day, I think was the idea that he was going for with it there. And I don't know, it seems like a, a kind of botched experiment because I, it's not that people don't want to see the same idea, the kind of similar thing as Psycho, they just don't want to see it literally repeated, just not as good with Vince Vaughn doing some weird shit. It was just an interesting thing. It was like the Psycho is so perfect that you would have to reshoot it shot for shot. It was interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's the catch-22 of it. Like, you can't do it differently, but you can't do it the same either. You probably just shouldn't do it at all. Yeah. Um, I, I know Gus Vincent just has a lot of importance in the Pacific Northwest, especially. Like, his early background doing, like, commercials out here. And then uh, uh, Last Days is interesting. It's probably the most interesting Kurt Cobain movie there is. Mm-hmm. Is that one actually about Kurt, or is it like a similar um, thing? It's like a stand-in for uh, Kurt Cobain, but it's very obvious what they're getting at. Right. And uh, Goodwill Hunting's great, of course. Yeah, Goodwill Hunting. I think that's the one I'm probably most familiar with. Yeah. Yeah, you weren't like, kidding. That poster for Last Days, is, it looks exactly like Kurt. <laughs> that's what exactly oh, yeah, what they're going for. It's a Kurt movie, they're going, I mean, they're sitting there listening to, like, all of Kurt's influences, and they just don't say the name Kurt, so... Right. Uh, I, I kind of wish they were able to get rights to that stuff, but uh, that that uh, estate's really tight, too. I really hope you do. Yeah. I'm, I'm just really interested to see what you think, anyway. It's one of my favorite Northwest films. Right. Well, I'm just, like I said, I'm kind of backed into a corner now. I just, you know, I, I was just wanting to be sold on it a little more, so I'm not, like forcing that mentality because i feel like you know it seems like one of those films where at the very least i just hate in general like making myself watch a movie like if i'm feeling like a comedy tonight then you know that's not necessarily the film i would want to go for but it's what i'm gonna have to do anyway i mean sometimes some of the best moments are so improvised like keanu and um rivers just sitting around a fire and they have this really beautiful that meta shakespearean commentary that you just gotta watch it um Mm -hmm. 
I okay. love this film. I'll, I'll definitely get back to you on it. I'll, I'll report back and tell you how much I enjoyed it. I'm assuming going in that I'm going to at least like it, if not love it on the same yeah. level that you do. I hope so. Welcome to the Twin Geek Cast. This is Calvin. And David. We have a full show in store for you, Emmy-wise, Ad Astra-wise, and what do we have feature-wise? Uh, feature-wise this week, we're talking about Billy Wilder's 1960 Oscar-winning masterpiece, The Apartment, starring Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, and Fred McMurray. So the Emmys are a four-hour award show. Did you spend uh, the better part of your Sunday watching them? Uh, no. No, I did not. Uh, if I can't sit down for two hours to watch even a new film from this year, you think I'm spending four hours to watch people talk about television shows I didn't watch? And it's especially because my problem with these Emmys is they're mostly television from last year. A lot of these award winners was like a... Well, you know, Succession was last summer, so that's over a year ago. Jesus, it's... It's weird that the parameters for, like, the, you know, what qualifies is odd. At least, like, I mean, the Oscars isn't exactly perfect in their, you know, no. deadlines and whatnot. But they have deadlines. Like, it makes it makes sense, I guess. Yeah. The parameters work because it doesn't feel like the biggest films of the year are coming out when the awards start. Because, like, right now we have Succession, Mindhunter, uh, Dark Crystal. Uh, we have all kinds of shows coming out just this fall. It feels like all the good stuff happens right after the Emmys. You think something like uh, Dark Crystal is going to make the Emmys next year? Um, I'm sure there's some technical awards and some craft that it's going to win, right? Mm-hmm. Did you ever finish the series? I, I yeah. still, I still haven't got to it. <laughs> and I finished it in a couple days. I loved it. I'm glad because I, I know we planned on potentially podcasting at some point, but I just I completely dropped <laughs> the ball there. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I know you didn't like the movie anyway. Uh, what else was going on at the Emmys? It was so weird to see Ozark winning. Uh, that that happened last summer, last August. Right. Uh, I don't know as much about Ozark. I can't remember. Ozark is the uh, Jason Bateman directed and acted film where uh, it's like Breaking Bad, but placed in the Ozarks. Oh, okay. Uh, it's it's a good show. I just didn't expect it to win best drama, especially over like a uh, Game of Thrones and um, you know Succession. So or it won a directing for best drama. Excuse me. Oh, okay, I was gonna say because I thought. I'd heard in that that Game of Thrones won Best Drama, which was kind of predicted. <laughs> that's a, also it's also outlandish, but but the only thing that could happen, right? Yeah, well, it's it, it's one of those things like with all these kind of ceremonies where it's like it's the final season of Game of Thrones, and even if everyone hated it, it's like, well, what about all the other seasons? You know, you're you're considering yeah. everything and what the end of it means. Like when you got like a final season like that, or when you're in your twilight as a director or whoever it is, usually they're gonna pull out the red carpet for you and give you the full treatment, regardless <laughs> of how good the thing you made is. So that's the interesting thing about Jason Bateman winning for a middle season of Ozark, right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it could have gone to like Ben and Weiss for like uh, Game of Thrones, but or uh, Adam McKay for Succession, but. No, no. Did, did Game uh, of Thrones and, win for writing? Uh, no, uh, Succession won for writing, thank okay. God. I, yeah, I think the whole internet would have exploded if Game of Thrones won for writing, because that I, was that was the real thing they were pissed about. I mean, I'm really in shows for their writing and their continuity anyway, so for me, just having Succession win that is enough, but next year it's going to win Best Drama and everything. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what else would compete, I guess, for best drama now that um, you got the, Mind the giant. I guess you got, like, what is... Uh, is Watchmen going to count for anything? That comes out this year yeah. still, right? Yeah. We'll have, we'll have Watchmen, we'll have Better Call Saul by next year. Uh, oh. A lot of shows are taking the year off, just like Game of Thrones did. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a big gap of stuff coming back. We have uh, um, some HBO stuff coming. We have, like, five new streaming services coming the next year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we got we'll have the new Star Wars in two months. Damn. We're going to be drowning in TV, and I won't be participating in just about any of it. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even talked about Peacock yet. That's the new uh, NBC app. Is it's that crazy how many there are. That makes sense that they would call it something like that. At first, I thought that was like a show or something that I'd never heard of. I'm like, what the hell is this? And, and then, <laughs> of course, it's just another I, streaming I, app. <laughs> I like the name. I like what it represents rainbow-wise, color-wise. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I'm just playing this gimmick out. <laughs> right. Well, I'm curious to see how streaming is going to evolve because it is largely becoming everyone's taking their own piece of the pie now. Like, we don't have the mm. the Wild West that Netflix was when it was all owned by itself and had literally all these options. But I am, at the same time, I'm impatient for some things to come up. Like, I'm like, why is there not a Food Network streaming app yet? Why can I not watch episodes of Good Eats from my television here? Like, I have to... It's not even available. I can't even rent episodes yeah. on Amazon or anything. It's just, it's gone while I wait for it, while I wallow without cable. I don't want to pay I for a cable package anymore. Just give me a streaming channel. I think that'll be a thing, is we'll start buying streaming packages. That's it's going to be we'll the case. I wonder if there's going to eventually be a company that bundles streaming packages together and then we're just basically doing cable again but through streaming we're almost there yeah uh, i mean i think it'll be interesting though regardless because the nice thing still is that the ability to cancel like right now streaming is still such a superior format to the cable ever was i think i mean looking back you're like what the hell were we thinking with cable you're paying hundreds of dollars a year for these select specific things and most of what you don't want you're only paying really for these one channel and you can't choose when to watch them was the main thing. Yeah, also the other thing is that streaming provides you the luxury of watching whenever you want, which is why I've also kind of liked the Netflix formula of dropping everything mm. at once, even though I know, you know, like Disney Plus isn't going to be doing that, which is okay. But, I mean, you know, what's nice about it still is that the fact that it's available at any time, like if you miss when it drops at that moment, you can still go and catch it the next day. You just don't have it all at once. So these Emmys are down a third over the previous viewings. They have almost they have about six point eight or nine million viewers, which is nothing. Yeah, uh, that's but what that's like the pop like not even the population of New York, I imagine. No, no, I mean not not even not even the city. Um, I I don't know that that's nothing. It it's dropped so drastically and it's such a horrible show they went without the host just like the oscars but it didn't work out this time uh their their solution was to have a guy awkwardly narrate as people ran down to the stage it, it was it, just awful it worked for the oscars last year didn't it? i didn't watch yeah, yeah. out of out of protest but i did not watch yeah. <laughs> um i think it i think it worked well for the oscars it worked horribly for the emmys who tried to comment on it every two minutes yeah, uh, it's it's one of those things where nobody wants to watch these ceremonies anymore because they're way too long and they're giant applaud fests things. And the more you can do to cut down how much it is and like save costs on production, I think in general, the more you really should because we're moving away from this. And also, just again, it's that same cable problem we're talking about here is that you know we should 
move things onto streaming more so. You know, everyone's got like a YouTuber channel or something. Hook up the Emmys from YouTube and let's watch it that way. I just wonder in about two years, once it's making the same ratings as like a rerun of The Office, how many people are actually going to show up to this? Yeah, I, I imagine the further things decline, the further we have to look towards new options or new ways of yeah. doing things. And it's like, not, musical acts is not the solution, I have to say. Like we say, we say Oscars are in so much trouble or whatever, but they have about five or six times the ratings. So, uh, movies are still king, TV is not. Right, well, as far as award ceremonies go, I, I might sure. argue that television is quickly usurping, um, you know, film as far as the medium of choice for now um you know what you don't get in uh in television though you don't get um breaking bad the movie yes that's <laughs> <laughs> that's a transition sort of <laughs> close enough there's a link there i think people got it like they'll they'll you know slyly applaud you in the background they're like oh okay it's a link because you know breaking bad was a television series and now it's a movie on netflix and i get it calvin good job <laughs> and it's going into theaters. That's it's going to be in some theaters the opening week. That would yeah. be nice. You know, I I have for the longest time. I didn't watch any of the trailers. I think up until now. But since we were going to talk about it here, I'm like, ah, oh, I should watch this last trailer. I guess I was going to go in blind, but you know, I wanted to at least know what I was talking about. And the actually, great thing, the great thing is this trailer doesn't spoil anything. Of no. it. it doesn't show you something from the show exactly. Not not at all. It shows you everything you like. Uh, you, Right when you get there and, you know, you got uh, Jesse come up to the door there, that, that reveal of it, and he's all terribly mangled and misshapen. It's, <laughs> you know, I found it very affecting, and it was yeah. enough. Just that enough, this idea that it implanted essentially here is that, and it was largely Jesse-focused. Like, all the news we've been getting about Breaking Bad is about who all the people who used to be in the show were going to come back and be in it, and yeah. it's mostly people who are supposed to be dead, like, like Walt and... Um, we got Jonathan Banks coming yeah. back too. I think we just got news of, and it's a uh, you know it's kind of odd, but assumably it's all going to be in flashbacks since they're all dead, which I think will work fine as long as we're not like doing any fake out things. I don't want to see anyone who died come back for real. Well, they they do have the thing where it's like a that counts the number of bodies, and it's supposedly like one more than however many people died at the last episode. So I think we're left to assume Walt's dead, right? He's uh, not, he might come back as a ghost. We don't know. That would be kind of odd, like what, like a force ghost Walt who guides Jesse through the... Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it, we, we can't put it beyond them. Uh, I, I am interested in this trend that this week we have a, we have Downton Abbey and then we have, a, what was the Deadwood movie and we yep. have Breaking Bad movie. Uh, I think television and movies are... Uh, blended together to the point where they're the same thing they kind of are in some ways like again there's so many netflix shows which are essentially just uh you know since they're like only one season of thing or something they're just extended films uh, yeah they're just they're just episodic movies essentially yeah. that's effectively and i think that's an interesting idea for a medium like that's almost I've, I've said before it's not television it's not film it's almost like its own different thing and i would i would love if we could find a name for this and make it an actual thing but i don't think that's going to be the case I, especially it's, not, it's okay. not television it's not film it's tilm tilm <laughs> but uh, no you're right that there is this trend of taking these uh beloved and popular television series and then making a kind of final send-off film for them uh yeah. You know, everyone was kind of tentative about the uh, the Breaking Bad film for a long time, but they put faith because Vince Gilligan was behind it, you know, and he was such a 
leading force for both this and Better Call Saul. It's like, well, we trust him, and it looks like it's going to be paying off. You know, he looks like he's very capable, and I'm, I'm, I want to see what he'll do outside of this universe that he's created that has become so big for him. He hasn't let us down yet, but you know, I, I want to see him spread his wings a little too. I'm glad to have Aaron Paul back in some way. He's kind of uh, floundered post Breaking Bad anyway. He has actually. I mean, the only thing of note I can really remember is that you know I started watching BoJack Horseman again because yeah, the, the new season new season drops you know this next month and you know I'm excited and he, that, that's like the only other great thing I can remember he's in since Breaking Bad, which is a shame because he's such a he's so great on both of them. He obviously has the potential to be great, but I don't know who's his agent. Somebody get him a better agent. Yeah, I agree, because he, he had so much potential, and then he's like, bitch, I'm doing the Need for Speed movie, and that was that, horrible. That, that was the immediate thing he did after Breaking Bad. And it, it was bad. <laughs> yeah, bad, bad choice. Um, and other than that, we have a, you know who else is Breaking Bad? That, uh, Adam Sandler. <laughs> yeah, he, he's cutting his own thing. It's not, uh, oh, no, that was terrible, too. Cut that one out, Calvin. Don't make me sound Cutting like his idiot. own gems? Yeah, it's something related to drugs and crime thing there's a link there the audience will get it I, you know because they cut things and like instead of meth it's jewels <laughs> we're on Punch, fire today meth we're we're doing yeah, great, we're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i i love the trailer i'm excited it comes in december and it looks like he's doing his punch drug glove stuff I, I won't say I loved the trailer, but I was very interested by it. It was, it was really, like, it was well because I felt like the trailer didn't tell me a whole lot, like not in the good way that Breaking Bad did. I felt confused at some time watching trailer, but I liked the look and feeling of the trailer. It brought me back to like a '70s crime Walter Hill kind of film, you know. And yeah. Sandler looked very capable. I was just it, like everything that happened in it. it was it was a fairly long trailer, like a good solid two minutes or so, and I just like I don't think it conveyed much information like i had to read what the plot you know pitch was on imdb afterwards mm -hmm. and i and i was like eh, it could have done better at communicating what the film is about but that's okay did you watch good time a couple of years ago ah uh, i you know i didn't i had it on my list after so so many people recommended and loved it and said it was one of the best of the year and you know everyone talking about robert pattinson just really making a comeback and becoming a really tour de force of acting and i just didn't didn't get to it like like because i think part of the problem is that it's just it's so available to me i don't have the my own private idaho situation where somebody's not gonna right. say hey you need to watch this movie right now it's just because it was produced by amazon it's on amazon all the time it's not going away so i could easily just kind of put it in the back of my mind and be like i'll get to it it has a fantastic one oh tricks point never score who's one of my favorite artists he's like the brooklyn dj who does really subversive electronic stuff Mm -hmm. I, I, I hear great things about it, and it seems like it's going to be in the same vein of this kind of 70s-ish action thriller crime drama thing, you know? Man, if you ever do get to Good Time, that's a good podcast. I mean, it's not a Good Time podcast. It's, <laughs> it's a, a bad... Um, so this looks good. Yeah, no, it looks really interesting, and I'm happy to see Sandler doing serious work again. It seems like yeah, me too. He, his comedy in general has dried up. I heard his Netflix special was good this last yeah. year. But as a, as a comedic film actor, everyone is done with Sandler. He's burned that bridge. He needs to he move did on the, from it. He did the Noah Baumbach movie that was really great, the uh, Meyerowitz Ma stories. Yeah, Meyerowitz stories, yeah. Well, that had Dustin Hoffman in it as well. Yeah. Yeah, 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 fantastic. But that's it. 
Yeah, that's and that was like he's been very radio silent for a while now. Adam Sandler has, and uh, I think what the last thing of note, like he he did the recent Hotel Transylvania film, right? And people like those, like yeah, I do. Yeah. Um. So okay, real quick, what's your favorite Sandler? Oh, uh, you know, I've got a really soft spot spot for the Wedding Singer. Actually, okay, that's I like. Fair. I like Wedding Singer a lot, and, you know, he, he's a good musician. He did lots of great stuff on SNL with his music, and there's that hilarious bit where he sings the song, you know, inspired by The Cure in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I think we have that in one of our podcasts there. Uh, it's the ending of one of our podcasts. I wish I knew which one. Uh, uh, I wish I remember, too, but you're right. I, I do remember you doing that. Otherwise, I really like Happy Gilmore as well. That one's fun. I was going to say Grown Ups, too. Um, uh-huh. That That's classic. We, we are on fire. <laughs> um, yeah. What else was there? Uh, I, you know, I think I like uh, uh, Funny People was my favorite. That was like a good meta commentary on right. where he is going to go with his career. Yeah, you know it's a, like a comedian who bottoms out and doesn't get any more work because he's a hack. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a really great one that uh, not many people know about. It's called uh, it's Airheads. Do you know about Airheads? Yeah, yeah. Air- I I, I've seen it. Very much, as, it's not as much of Adam Sandler vehicle as much it is for, like, Brendan Fraser, who's really the star of it. But then you got Steve Buscemi in there as well. They're a great little rock band who end up uh, unintentionally, but, you know, then they kind of got to lean into it, uh, holding up a record, you know, a radio station so they could try and get their record sold <laughs> with, like, a fake uh, water pistol Uzi. <laughs> oh, really? I, yeah. I don't think I have seen it. No, yeah, that's, uh, it's a little great kind of fun comedy, light one. You know, it's not, it's not huge or so, big but I, I consider it a classic wait then the dog plays basketball right that's the air bud is he in airhead air air oh oh there we go oh okay on fire today really got those <laughs> really got all kinds of references <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, i guess this is the part as well where i sheepishly admit that i don't like punch drunk love like everyone else in the oh, world it's so sad i mean i, I like everything from pta uh, I like generally everything else from him. I'm not as huge a, a stan as everyone else is. I mean, like, Boogie Nights is one of my favorites, I think, mm. in general. Film we should Understandable. Talk about. But, like, uh, I didn't love Phantom Thread like everyone else <sighs> did necessarily. I liked it. <laughs> I liked it a lot. But I That's one that burns me just the same as, like, Mulholland Drive. That one, those two are the big ones. Yeah, I, I bet if uh, I watched all three of those again, I would appreciate them better. I don't know if I would love them, but they they definitely... Yeah didn't all click with me. Phantom Thread, again, did. I liked Phantom Thread. I want to establish that. Whereas Mulholland Drive and uh, Punch Drunk Love, I, as I mentioned for Mulholland last week and now Punch Drunk Love, I, I do not like those ones. That's fair. Actively. Didn't, is it, didn't is it fair? What? I feel like I'm going to start receiving a lot of hate mail and you know, I'm going to get punched on the street or something. You will, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, did some movies come out this week? I feel like a bunch did. Yeah, uh, you know, a couple of note. I don't know if they made a lot of money, but we have several to talk about, which is good because I don't so, want to talk anymore about how much I don't like Punch Drunk Love. Um, absolutely. So the big one of note is uh, Between Two Ferns, right? Oh yeah, I guess it's on here. I'm looking at the. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I'm looking at the box um, office, and of course they don't include all the Netflix stuff, but there is stuff on there. You watch so, that one. Yeah, it's like a journey to create ten episodes of the show, but I really would have just liked ten episodes of the show. Yeah, uh, I never watched too much of uh, in between two friends. But what I did watch is fun. Zach yeah. Galifianakis is is a really interesting comedic talent. You know, he's very kind of different in what he does than most other people here, and that show is kind of like the cornerstone of his comedy. 
Yeah, it's like Will Ferrell tells him he has to go on the road and create a 10-episode reel so he could live his dream and become a late-night talk show host. Uh, it's all right. I, I don't think there's a there's nothing pressing to sh- say about that that will be surprising. I, I think all I saw from it, I saw a bunch of clips of him with Keanu Reeves from the movie yeah. floating around because everybody's obsessed with Keanu Reeves nowadays, and they were talking another about... Another great cameo. Yeah. Is that another one? I guess that is another one from him. If is that like five this year or something? <laughs> He's hitting a record. It's seriously. To, this is the really the Keanu songs like we've been talking about. He's coming back in in big demand, especially with what the, there's a, a Matrix reboot in talks too now. I remember. I think it's about. in production. Just one of the Wachowskis now. Yeah, just one of them is doing it. I don't remember which one, but Keanu is yeah, apparently sorry. coming back for that, and I don't know how to feel about that, but. Uh, he's yeah. he's making he's making good decisions. Otherwise, he's doing really good, you know, film wise. Yeah, yeah, film wise and career wise. Yes. But <laughs> uh, uh, what other movies? Uh, how about uh, Ad Astra? That's a that's a big release. Yes, that's one's probably our most notable release this week. Which yeah, uh, I uh, surprisingly did not go see. Shocked, I know. <laughs> I know. I thought you'd really get out for this uh brad pitt art film yeah well uh i know a lot of people before going into the movie were talking buzz about uh brad being nominated for both supporting in once upon a time in hollywood this year and at astra but i i've got a feeling you might disagree with that now 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 that you've seen it i think it. He, i think the nominations this film will get are probably sound mixing and it will get it'll for sure get a sound mixing nom and uh what else it'll get a visual effects nom and Brad will probably get one. He can't win for it, though, I'm sure. Mm, it'll kind of be like a uh, um, first man situation, I guess. Like, yeah. Was that last year? I think that was last yeah. year. Uh, I don't uh, think I, first man got any other nominations <laughs> other than those technical I think it'll awards, win yeah. probably... Yeah, I think it'll probably follow that same path. Uh, uh, interesting, there are space movies are uh, going that way. They're winning those kinds of awards, but uh, better than Lucy in the Sky, which is bombing horribly, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's nothing like uh, Gravity was a couple no. years back, which was, you know, that was a huge sensation. And, and no other space movie has really measured up since then. No, um, I mean, maybe like High Life, but that's like an internal tale. It's not external space, right? Um, right. And it's mixed as well a bit. Uh, you know, it didn't get the super duper critical praise that Gravity did. But then again, right. that's, that's kind of unfair because Gravity is like a... <laughs> Yeah, Gravity was a huge, you know, sensation when it came out. And Gravity is like one of three films that like justified 3D in the last like century. <laughs> so. The thing is that has anyone talked about Gravity much since the, the uh, Oscars and all that? We could, I guess. I, I like Gravity. I didn't watch it, but yeah, uh, I just um, I know I haven't heard anything about it since it. It was like heralded as this modern classic as soon as it came out, and now it's just. Nobody talks about it. like not even in discussions of like best of the decade, you know, which are coming up now. Like I don't hear any mention of Gravity anymore. No, I think it. I think it was the thing where you have to go to the theaters and see the 3D experience, and then it's kind of left there. Like uh, I think we had our uh, well, we had Quran go on to do uh, Roma, which might get more buzz because it's like recency bias, right? Mm-hmm. For oh. the uh, end of the decade. 
generally i think as well that uh, you know more intimate stories tend to connect with people more than spectacle kind of films like those will last longer over time unless it's like a a really grand spectacle like blow you out of the damn water you know <laughs> we'll never forget kind of spectacle which it's weird because uh, ad astra has these spectacle moments like you're fighting space pirates on the dark side of the moon and his craft is flipping over into zero gravity and it looks fucking cool but it's like why is it there Right, like I think you mentioned that all the trailers were a bit deceptive for the film because of all yeah. the the action they I, indicate. Those are there, but that's the only action that's there is what's in the trailer, and they don't well, mean anything to the plot. What I heard the pitch for it was like two thousand one and Apocalypse Now melded together. I I feel like it's a really weak version of what that would look like. I think it. Well, read Kevin's review too, because. I don't know, he said things that make it sound pretty important. If you have, like, parent problems, it might mean a lot to you. Yeah, well, those things. Like, Kevin went and saw it. He reviewed it for our site here wonderfully, and he loved the film. It was. It seems like it's he one of his, his front runners for the year, whereas you and a couple other people here have seen it. And uh, not as There's definitely a, a mixed reception surrounding Ad Astra right now, <laughs> which usually... Sorry, go on. I was going to say, usually when a film has mixed reception, you eat that shit up. You love <laughs> mixed reception. <laughs> I do. I went with our friend Will from the uh, Discord there, and uh, uh, the guy sitting behind us afterward, he leans back his chair. He's like, ah, that's some hard science. I, was, <laughs> I can't get over that guy's reaction to the movie. There's no hard science in here. I don't, I don't think he does. I think he just assumes that... I don't know, like, if, if his guy's going into space, it must be yeah. hard science because NASA or something. They measure space in miles in the movie. Do they? Oh my god. How I don't many, know how... How many millions of miles did they... Are they, are, they <laughs> are they actually moving only several miles at a time? Because that's ridiculous. Because I, I think they cover it in, like, trillions. It's like, okay, you got, like, trillions or billions of miles left. To, I just, like, that's a horrible measurement for space. Light years. We use light years to measure right. distance. <laughs> <laughs> this is set in the near future, too. It's not past space. So, um, apparently, we just, we enforce our system of mileage onto space in the future. Uh. Horrible. Uh, so not hard science and the physics are terrible <laughs> another guy came by and he was like a, well these guys are having a big discussion about the film he's like man the science in this movie really sucked <laughs> oh you know here another, I'll, I'll give him this at least at least they didn't measure distance in parsecs yeah that's true <laughs> um so that was my big movie experience we saw it in imax it wasn't shot in imax so that's fine I, I, what movies are shot in IMAX nowadays? I can't um, even remember any. First Man was the last big one that I, that I remember. Of course, it's on topic, so I'm thinking of that. That, that was last year. Like, yeah, that was that was partially lensed in IMAX. I, a lot of movies have parts. Nobody's doing the Nolan thing anymore. I, I was going to say, I guess that's the next one is The Tenant, because you know nobody else is shooting in IMAX. I think uh, IMAX is solely the Nolan for, format, and nobody else really cares. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty big into that kind of stuff. I think that's why I'm a Nolanite. But mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, I'll be interested to see if it's one of those things where it's 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 almost kind of like a gimmicky format if it doesn't take yeah. off. Yeah, it's true. Um, uh, what else did we have? We had Downton Abbey, which we've already discussed. Laura's a review up on the site, and we have new Rambo yeah. out. Rambo: Last Blood. Yeah. Um, I hope it's the last blood. I feel like uh, Stallone's <laughs> been pushing for a final movie for the last twenty years. Mm -hmm. So, so like the Rocky franchise, I have only watched the first one of these. Okay, that's fair. And uh, I think, 
it does not have the same prestige as the Rocky franchise does. I'll say that. No. Uh, the the quality drop off of the Rambo film seems to be pretty immediate. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember hearing something about like the the two thousands reboot where he he inserts himself into a one of the Eastern contemporary conflicts as the Rambo character, and it's really violent and yeah, very political. Yeah. The, like the just the one that's called Rambo. Very known for its ultra violence. Um, uh, yeah, after the first movie, it got real racist real quick. Uh huh. It's also just the Rambo series is infinite for terrible, terrible naming conventions. <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah, First Blood, Last Blood. What's the sequel to Last Blood? So it's just called First Blood. The first Rambo film is just called First Blood. The second one is called Rambo First Blood Part Two, which is a mouthful. Uh, then the th- it's just called Rambo Three. They drop the the first blood convention in there then you have just rambo like we're you know starting over again no rambo 4 or anything and then rambo 5 is called rambo last blood we picked that up again then we could go rambo 6 old town road <laughs> oh it's weird because the the rating on it wise is very uh inverse uh as far as for audience versus critics here critics pan the shit out of this it's awful as to be expected but audience scores are actually pretty high yeah, um, it's the inverse of Ad Astra, where critics are high, audiences low. So, mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's kind of interesting seeing that. I don't think either of these films really did well at the box office, though. No, I mean I think we have three that did okay, but uh, Downton Abbey's the only real winner with a, a around thirty. So right, well, both of these Ad Astra and Rambo, they both made under twenty million for their first week here, which is really not, not good. good. No, no, not for a space movie that costs uh, over a hundred. Yeah, likely eighty to a hundred is probably Astra's budget. Yeah, that's a a ton, and it's probably not going to make back its money. That's too bad. Um, I think it should make money, whether or not I love it. I I do want people to go see it. So. I know, most any film, like how many films don't deserve to make money? You know, I think yeah. they all do. <laughs> I don't know. There, there's I, some. I mean, there's someone exceptions like someone likes movies. everything. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm mostly talking exceptions for, like, really, like, undeserving or hateful movies, you know? Yeah. Uh, just yeah. absolute trash that shouldn't have been made to begin with probably shouldn't make money. Like Green Book. <laughs> so, uh, um, we have a pretty special uh, feature picture here. What do we have? Uh, well, last week we got to talk about your favorite director we talked about david lynch and so this week i guess you granted me the privilege of talking about my favorite director for the first time here we're gonna explore one of the the many masterpieces of billy wilder with the the apartment You mentioned, tell me why you love this film. Oh my god, Billy Wilder is such an amazing director and writer and everything. Ah, I love him, I love him. He's so wonderful and makes the best movies ever. Uh, but particularly on the writing front there. Uh, you know, everyone talks about like this idea of an auteur theory, this, you know, voice through a whole career of work, you know, this singular idea and representative themes and whatnot. But really, Billy Wilder is like a perfect image of that because he 
did get to write everything he did. He was a writer first before he came into directing films in 1942. He wrote a bunch of stuff. He wrote an Ernst Lubitsch film with one of his many collaborators before he ever started writing or directing. But this this is right in the pinnacle time of his career. Like he did uh, this won three Oscars in the same year. He won one for directing, writing, and best picture for The Apartment here. And just the year before, he had made the comedy masterpiece classic, Some Like It Hot, which mm. uh, also would have been a worthy film to discuss today. But you happened to watch this one this week, so we said, yes, let's do that. I I was so excited watching it that I really just wanted to talk about it. Because, um, like you say, I think I wrote in my little review that it's a... Uh, it's a writer's film, it's an actor's film, it's a director's film, that he is a director for all of these people. He is, and he's and it's such a recurrent talent involved here as well. You know, Fred McMurray, who plays, you know, Sheldrake here, the boss who, you know, kind of uh, works with uh, Baxter's character there to get him to kind of rise up the ranks and has the relationship with Shirley MacLaine. He's played by Fred McMurray, who was, you know, in one of Billy Wilder's first his first masterpiece really double indemnity that's what he brought him out for there the mm. film noir classic the defining film noir classic uh, and then you know this was the second collaboration with jack lemon who he went to on to make seven films with which Fantastic. is the most he, he did with any you know actor he was great he was you know the uh you know he's a yin and yang for him essentially and sure mclean this was the first collaborator they went on to make one other film together they did a uh, irma Ledoux, which was a adaptation of a musical for Broadway where Billy Wilder stripped of all the music which is still hilarious comedy very different though than his usual stuff I love that one though I, I think what I like about this film it's 1960s Americans are being drawn back to TV and then they release this new where um, they take an anthropomorphic look at the widescreen format and so it doesn't look as spherical as a lot of the black and whites from this era yeah, this is uh, once widescreen was kind of becoming more of a thing. This uh, this is actually also an interesting. Well, this was the last Best Picture winner to be in black and white until The Artist, not counting yeah. Schindler's oh, really? List. Sh- Schindler's List also kind of counts, but it's got a little bit of color in there. Yeah, but yeah, sure. But this um, 1960, last time a black and white film won Best Picture for some thirty odd years. And a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of black and whites that ever use this technique. I think it's something that could still even come back because uh, a lot of that from that era, their faces would look round or uh, once they blew them out, it would be disproportionate to what you saw on screen. Right, well, it was shot natively in widescreen, yeah. and it looks great. There's great usage of the widescreen throughout. Um, you know, you don't, we don't sometimes think about widescreen in terms of a more intimate, you know, kind of romantic uh, dramedy like this but he does use the space very well for lots of blocking and framing and that's a very nice detail that kind of gets overlooked especially again when you consider most black and white films are shot in the four by three ratio where it's just a box yeah i think about like blocking and creating spaces in effective office environments i think about a show like mad men today where i see a lot of the influence of this like office environment and how people interact within a social space oh and there uh, is a lot great, going on i mean there's great Sorry, go on. <laughs> I was going to say, there's that great office shot. Like, speaking of the widescreen as well, there's that, you know, early on the film, we see that huge, that endless rows of desks just created. Right. <laughs> and it's a great, it's a forced perspective shot that... Where, you know, where he's sitting at his desk and he yeah. gets the call? Well, there's, the, there's just that giant shot where there's just rows okay, and yeah. rows and rows of people at desks. And, and the kind of the way they do it is they do it through forced perspectives, you know, incrementally smaller desks kind of going into the background with uh, small people working at the, the very, very back ones. So there's still people there, but, you know, they're, again, it's a, it's a forced perspective kind of shot. Very interesting way of doing that. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting way to shoot an office setting, especially. And I like that um, a lot of this film is interesting because you get characters like Shirley MacLaine, who you, who you just get like a bit character of. Like they'd just be a two-second encounter in another film, right? Uh, I think about something like a, the uh, Hudsucker proxy feels a lot like the, the office in this setting. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think Hudsucker uh, and Coens in general probably pulled a lot from Wilder for that particular film. It's got a lot of that that kind of vibe. Uh, it's actually kind of interesting as well, I think, that the whole, uh, just like a chain of influence things, as you kind of see throughout film history, is that uh, uh, there is actually, uh, the, apart- the apartment has kind of an interesting origin in that Billy Wilder was inspired by David Lean's 1945 film Brief Encounter, because uh, there's a bit of a, a like a very tiny moment where the the lead character is borrowing the apartment of one of his friends so he can kind of have a tryst with the the female there and it doesn't work out right. but it, it's a very small scene but that blossomed into this idea for Billy Wilder to make a whole yeah. film out of which is wonderful. It's like what what about the guy who who borrows out the apartment? What's his life like? They, that, like that's really interesting to take that from Brief Encounter and like really blow it up and see what what this really interesting guy is about. Yeah, and that's that's exactly kind of what happened there. That he hooked on that small detail, and it became this whole big story. This you know this great defining film for everyone's career involved. I'd say this is a this is a staple of everyone in the production's involvement here. Well, what would you say? Like Shirley MacLaine wasn't really. I mean, this was like her her peak and her you know also her valley. I mean, there wasn't a lot else was there. Uh, there's there's some notable things she did some stuff with like the the Rat Pack before uh, she st- she actually started out her career her first film was uh, in a Hitchcock film she starred in uh, sure. the tr- the Trouble with Harry uh, but she had uh, success throughout she did a lot of stuff more so later in her career like she was in Terms of Endearment which is a big Oscar winning film she starred alongside Meryl Streep in Postcards from the Edge which was okay. the uh, Carrie Fisher novel. I think uh, this is it. just like the the significant thing oh, that we have yeah. like Fred McMurray, we have men double indemnity in this. But, yeah, I but mean, a lot I, of TV otherwise, right? For Fred McMurray especially, he was a Disney TV kind of dad. He did lots of stuff. He was more popular in that. But nowadays, people are going to solely remember him mostly for those two Billy Wilder films, maybe a couple others right. in between. But otherwise, that's that's his legacy, and it's it's quite a legacy still. I'd say those are two uh, fabulous roles. But Jack Lemmon, I think he he obviously has the <laughs> the greater legacy there and the greater yeah. career span out of anyone involved. He really got to shine. But this this was really one of the early things for Jack Lemmon as well. He was coming off of uh, Some Like It Hot, which was, of course, a big deal, but that was his first collaboration with Billy, and that was... He was not quite the leading man that we understand him as now. This was, like, the the defining leading man role for him that would kind of go on to paint the portrait of the rest of his career. I like him because he's a Calvin also. <laughs> I, I can't remember what it, I can't remember what the second C was, but what was it, like, Calvin... Clavicus something. I don't know. It was definitely not that, but uh, uh, no. C for Calvin, C for Clifford. I found it. Yeah, there you go. And but everyone just calls him Buddy or Baxter. He gets called Baxter throughout. Yeah. Still a Calvin. I'm taking it. Yeah. No. I I think that's always interesting. I, I do that same thing where I'm like, oh, that character's name is David. I like that. Like you must I'm, get it a lot more often. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I don't know. Were you a big Calvin and Hobbes fan then? Yeah. Of course. I love Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> That's that's just the the most immediate Calvin I can think of. Um, Snoop Dogg's a Calvin. Uh, Is I think he? we ran out. Yeah, it must be. I don't know. There's not as many. Like, what what other Davids? 
I, mean, I just don't think about cinematic demons at all. But sometimes it has the weird effect as well, where I feel weirder depending on who the character is. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like, like the fact that David, I think you run into it in every other movie. There's probably a David in it. It's a bit more common, I would say. But the fact that you get a, to to kind of connect with this Jack Lemmon character, that's very wonderful. I don't think I got the <laughs> yes. Jack Lemmon roles. I want I want a Jack Lemmon David now. And I know. Somebody um, find that. For I, me. <laughs> I don't know. I can it relate to it, like. I guess not anymore, but in my, like, old life of, like, a sleazy looseness, too. Like, uh, uh, all his neighbors are like, hey, what's going on with the women? And he's like, you know, they come and go. And I'm like, this guy's not, not, a, not a clean guy, either. Well, it's interesting, because and you need someone like Jack Lemmon for this kind of role, because he needs to be able to tread that line. But, you know, we're in the 1960s now, so the, the limitations of the Hayes Code aren't as heavy. Right. They, they've loosened considerably. We can show, you know... <laughs> you know, things like trysts like this and non-marital affairs, we can show people getting away with that stuff. There aren't any restrictions so much. Like, it's all but, like, it, it's it's there in name. Like, the only thing is that we can't say literally that people are here to have sex, but that yeah. is 100% what's happening, and everybody knows that. <laughs> There's no question about it. But, um... It doesn't need... imply it, does it? I mean, I, I mean no, we it's, know it's, it's there. happening, but... It's, it's practically text. It's, like, just shy of being literally said. It's... I mean... I mean, like, he fi- finds her in, in his bed, you know what happens. It's right. not that, not, well, not that before, mysterious. Ten years prior in the Hays Code, you couldn't have two people in the same bed. Like, you couldn't even yeah. think about portraying that. But now we're, like, here, and it's, you know, uh, it's just out in the open. That's, you know, how the times change. But I think you definitely need someone, like you said, because there is a an inherently sleazy aspect to Jack Lemmon's character, well, even though he's, he's totally naive, and he's totally yeah. kind of a fool, and wholesome i would say he's a wholesome character and you need someone like jack lemon to portray that because you do have the humor of oh look at this guy he's, he's such a lady killer doesn't you know the the neighbors think he's sleeping with all these women all the time when really he's sleeping out in the cold on the bench well that's the foolishness of it is that he's taking accountability for someone else's mistakes but he's not getting any of the benefits mm-hmm. i mean he gets he gets job benefits uh, essentially well and that's the idea is that he manages to find a way to use his like like he he's very much a doormat kind of character but yeah. he does find a way to exploit that for his own benefit in return it's not uh, equal payment i guess you would say but he he seems content with that for the majority of the film that's when and that's that's the arc of his character is realizing that he deserves better and needs to kind of stand up for himself and become a mensch as they say yeah, I mean, it's just about becoming a human, a, a real person. And a, sta- that's a stand-up guy, yeah. A stand-up guy, sure. And he's just a, yeah, he's a doormat at first, but then he has to find out what it really means. Like, he does all this stuff to re- impress a woman, but maybe to really impress her, what he re- needs to do is be himself and to show what really honors and uh, what, you know, show some honor as a man. Yeah, he, he lacks a strength of character that he needs yeah. to find, and, it, and he does to do that by kind of standing up for some kind of principle. He doesn't have a principle in the beginning of it. He allow, he says, anything goes as long as, you know, I'm able to find some way around it. And Which is a kind of sleazy mentality, but Jack Lemmon right. sells it completely sincerely. Like, he just seems like the most wholesome person. It's... I think the film is actually somewhat deceptive, and it's interesting. It could throw somebody off. I'm glad it didn't throw you off because I've seen it before with other people. In that, it, you know, That's Billy Wilder. Well, because Billy Wilder and Isle Diamond, they're this perfect comedy duo. This is right off the heels of Some Like It Hot, which is just a pure comedic, fast-paced masterpiece. And about halfway through the apartment, it just gets 
dead serious. It turns it's into fantastic. A, it turns into a serious drama, and if you're not ready for that hard turn, it's. It, I can see how it could throw someone off, but it works because there's a balance of it. It's a there's still dark humor infused into things throughout, and it, and from that point, once the actual dramatic angle of it comes in, it bounces back between the two flawlessly. It, it really infuses them. It's. I can't think of a film that does it as perfectly. You know, I really wish our modern comedies were shot in as well written as this because that's what really charms you through it uh you you're able to deal with those dark moments because it's so well written and you're able to trust the writer it's it's such an and it's an important thing because it's a it's a writing team here you know billy wilder throughout the last entire half of his career solely worked with il diamond as writer and producer and they were just this brilliant duo who were able to bring out wit and you know very clever remarks and ideas and everything and they god they can write a hell of an ending too there's there's such a perfect team together and like i said they, they wrote stuff like some like it hot together but they also wrote stuff like you deuce and one two three and the fortune cookie and avanti and uh, the private life of sherlock holmes mm-hmm. there's so many there's so many important ones and you know like the only other remarkable writing partner Billy had before this was like he did lots of important more dramatic works with uh, Charles Brackett he did Lost Weekend and Sunset Boulevard and he did uh, uh, some comedy as well he did like the major and the minor to begin with he did uh, a foreign affair as well uh, can you tell I like Billy Wilder yeah I can tell a little <laughs> bit and you said there were uh, there were some funny stories as well when he was working on a double indemnity with the oh yes yeah, so, so- so Double Indemnity is one of the the writing exceptions. I told you this kind of separately. He, he did a couple films, and there were some films in the 50s after uh, Sunset Boulevard that he didn't quite find Diamond yet. He had a couple people like uh, this one, Ace in the Hole, and uh, Sally 17 came out. But Double Indemnity, the other big masterpiece that he did early on in his career, he didn't write with either of them. He wrote it mm. with famous hard-boiled fiction author uh, Raymond Chandler. And Raymond Chandler and Billy Wilder did not get along. They, <laughs> they very much hated each other. Uh, Chandler was a bit of a stick in, stick in the mud, and Billy Wilder was an antagonistic person. That was kind of his humor, and you know, if you watch interviews with him, you can see he's a little bit of a a, a jerk sometimes, but in a fun way. But like, uh, there was one particular anecdote I told you where Chandler would get furious because Wilder would refuse to take his hat off when <laughs> they were in the room together. I think it's like a too many cooks situation. I, I guess it's just like these clashing personalities. But hey, it brought out a, a great script still, so there must have been something there. I hadn't really seen any of uh, Billy Wilder as, you know, a person. I hadn't seen any video of him. I watched him accept the uh, uh, the Oscar for this movie this morning. Um, and Audrey Hepburn's up there looking like she's right out of Breakfast at Tiffany's. He just comes up and gives a curt speech off the stage. Mm-hmm. I think that was an interesting thing to discover is that there's probably all, a lot of people, at least if you watch these more classic films, who have seen more Billy Wilder than you may have realized. Like, we, we, we went looking through after you watched this one, and we're like, oh, you've watched... 10 Billy Wilder films? <laughs> well, I started with the idea that I had watched four or five, right? Like, I had just watched right. Lost Weekend, and I had seen Some Like It Hot with you. I saw Ace in the Hole, and I thought that was about the extent of it. Mm-hmm. It, but it's actually, there's, there's a considerable... Like, again, the, the generally, the four accepted masterpieces are uh, Sunset Boulevard, uh, Some Like It Hot, The Apartment, and Double Indemnity. And Lost about. Weekend. Lost Weekend is one certainly you loved. You had a, a great... Uh, perspective on it i think that would be an interesting podcast to talk about sometime or maybe even a piece to write about um you know his uh, the, the kind of uh, breaking open of the the kind of idea of uh genuine alcoholism and how to treat it yeah. in 1945 um, 
Which also I mean, they really start well, looking at alcoholism as a disease and whatnot. I mean, like tangential to this whole piece, but that just meant so much to me that I was like, man, I might really love Billy Wilder because this is still the stuff we. It's still what we have today. I mean, we haven't got a lot further. We'd like to think we have, but we don't know much about addiction. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, Ace in the Hole is another big one you mentioned as well. That's that's yeah, sometimes great. lumped lumped in with these kind of masterpieces, and I. Uh, you watched the fortune cookie as well, right after yeah. this, which which I love. Which, is, is, uh, I think it's like their last, his last great film of his career, as far as I can tell. I think it's very good, anyway. I think the comedy of it's pretty implicit in the premise. Uh, it's funny seeing whether this guy's going, you know, just be like a normal guy, or if he's going to break through and make some money, and what's going to happen with him. It's it's a funny movie. Yeah, I think uh, the only mistake you made was watching it right off the heels of this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, watching anything after the apartment, how's it going to really compare? Because I think this was the, I think it's one of the best movies we've covered. Uh, I put it in like a top five or six of the movies we've covered so far. That makes me so happy to hear. You know, there's I think there's something more pleasant than than having that satisfaction of sharing something that you genuinely love with someone and getting that same feeling back. Like I can hear that you really love it. And, Oh yeah, I'm enthusiastic as hell about this. So it's we don't we don't always see eye to eye on the same film. <laughs> you know, sometimes we have very different takes, or we love them in different ways. And so to, to hear this same celebration of it, it just makes me so so happy and exuberant, and I'm excited, and uh, so much so that we we haven't even talked about the film that much. <laughs> no, um, is there anything you want to talk about specifically? <laughs> yeah, so we we've talked a bit about Jack Lemmon, we've talked a bit about Fred McMurray here, but we have not done enough talking about Shirley MacLaine, who is no. pro probably the best thing about the film uh, she has the like a uh, pixie-ish haircut that's really interesting it is kind of like the model for like the the different girl the alternative girl that would emerge in like the you know like 70s through and it seems like she inspired that way earlier oh it's such an interesting i'm glad you brought up the haircut because i think the haircut is this perfect example of the duality of her character there because yeah. she is this kind of strong early kind of feminist image of a woman where she's like like in her introductory scene she's like sexually kind of molested in that that work workforce way where someone like pinches her butt on the way of the elevator and she responds to it she doesn't just like put up with it she she makes a comment back about like you know one day you're gonna get yours or whatever and like she does like the hand you know the elevator motion to cut off the hand or whatever yeah but but at the same time she's still s basically complicit of it like she she's forward enough to say something and not necessarily put up with it but she still accepts it at the end of the day and i think that the haircut her line about that early on kind of displays that as well like it's this symbol of rejecting not only the kind of general accepting you know uh secondary feminism or you know uh, female position mm -hmm. there but it's also this way of like she said that she she didn't like it so she cut it off there's clearly a, a deep-seated uh self-hatred going on in her character that emerges later on in the film and that that cutting of the hair is uh, symbolic of that early it's on it's so perfect right at 1960 for this to really be a women's lib movie too so mm -hmm. there's a lot that you could study in it in that regard well, it's interesting, and, and Billy Wilder has a fascination with sad, broken women. It's, yeah. a, it's a recurring theme in his film, in particular, you see the parallel here with Sunset Boulevard, with the same kind of idea. There's even, that's another thing I've noticed, there's a lot of suicide in Billy Wilder movies. There are, yeah, there is. <laughs> it happens It happens quite a lot, and it comes up several times. It comes up twice in this film. There are two different people who discuss, you know, suicide so that's interesting but you know again sunset boulevard is another obvious example it comes up i think once briefly in some like it hot and a couple yeah. other movies obviously. and last weekend of course with the guns yes. and... 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, some very obvious ones there. But so yeah. there's an interesting fascination with that. Again, the, the kind of recurrent themes of Billy Wilder movies, but the women especially are an interesting example of them because he manages to give them sub de- such depth. While, sure. uh, and, and they have a very modern sensibility to them. Many of them no, do, I especially. Mean, yeah. Shirley MacLaine could be acting right now as far as this movie goes. She is. She is actually still acting right now, surprisingly. I mean, she could be. This could, this role could be happening in like 2019. It's, well, it's, it's just a it's funny thing. It's in, in women's lib, right? It's a funny thing I don't think about because, you know, I think it's like, oh, it's a film from 1960. Everyone from this movie's dead. And, yeah. and she's actually she's still around. And I actually found out something interesting. I don't know if you know this. Did you know that uh, she's actually a, a significant Hollywood uh, sibling? No, uh, who is, who's her sibling? Her brother is Warren Beatty. No, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, I only found that out, like, maybe, like, a couple weeks back, and I'm like, what? That's... But it makes sense, the timelines match up there, so... Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. Um, and it makes sense with, kind of, her career as well. Right, well, they kind of had the rises at similar times this year in the 60s, and then Bonnie and Clyde was only a couple years after this, I believe. God, she does still have movies coming out. She does. Uh, nothing really of, of note. Like, no, no. <laughs> Noel, People Not Places, never heard of these. Men of Granite. No. Yeah. But but there are things she is acting, and she is... She was <laughs> She was in that weird Little Mermaid movie I was talking about a couple weeks ago. Yeah. The, that weird fantasy one. Mm-hmm. That's too bad. But no, she's she's absolutely wonderful here. Um such a such a treasure and i know you know she's one of my this is one of my fiance's favorite films oh ever. really yeah because she absolutely loves fran as a character yeah she makes her heart melt and th- there's a great tragedy cr- to her character but she's a really interesting person and there's a complexity to it like the and the relationship present i think that's one of the other interesting angles of some like it hot is that you have the the love triangle going on here between the three principal characters and uh, how that's tackled and, and the relationship between all three of them is complex. There's more going on there. I know. <laughs> I was watching. I guess my wife was in now. She came in and he's like, a, "Yeah, I got a heavy date over there." And then you know, he just walks by her and goes to the postcards. My my wife's like, "He didn't go with the with the girl he indicated." I'm like, "No shit, that's the whole point." That's the joke. It's there. Yeah. It's the joke. I'm like, you, I'm like, it was such a great setup, and she stood and just watched the whole thing and didn't get it. I was. Whoosh, I was beside just, myself. Oh, that's great. It makes me laugh. <laughs> and, that, and, that's, and that's great. There's, there's lots of, so many great jokes. And, and there's a lot of other great lines throughout the film as well. And it's hard to just cite uh, so many of them. You, you just watched it last night, but I watched this as, like, like a, just shy of a month ago, I think, or something okay, like yeah. that. I, di- I didn't rewatch immediately because, uh, you know... I'm, you know this pretty well. <laughs> I do. I've watched this film so many times. This is... Uh, and one I love to show and share people with. So when you when you mentioned watching this one, I really perked up. And I'm like, well, we gotta watch this. We gotta talk about this one. Yeah, it's our last uh, last film before we get into some horror. So. It is, isn't it? Uh, I guess that's when we start our horror month here. And this is such a, a wonderful, uh, amazing film. I feel like I haven't done enough justice. I just keep see- saying how wonderful it is. I'm not actually citing anything. I think we're doing a lot of good justice though to why we really appreciate it because I mean, Fran's a huge component. Sheldrake is an amazing character as far as uh, uh, that kind of structural comedy boss goes. Uh, that's a lot of like you know office space, and we get like a lot of influence in later comedies that oh, yeah. go into that boss character. You can kind of see it there with yeah, uh, and it's an interesting reversal for Fred McMurray as well because like we said, yeah. he was he's very much the picturesque Disney dad kind of person, yeah. and so for him to be a womanizing. You know, kind of manipulative. 
Oh, he totally is. And he sells it. He sells it really well. Like, it's... Uh, and again, like, all the, the casting here is really great. Oh, oh, I do have a funny anecdote about uh, Fred McMurray, though. I just remembered from the, the film. What's that? Uh, he, he was kind of a odd actor in terms of, like, Billy Wilder. Like, the things he would or wouldn't want to do. There's mm. a bit in the movie where he, he gets his shoes shined. And he's supposed to flip a quarter to the, the guy shining his shoes. Yeah. And Fred McMurray couldn't quite do it right with a quarter, so like they were gonna sub out like a fifty cent piece to okay. do it with because it's bigger and easier to flip. And he totally like objected. He's like, "No, I would never, you know, give this guy fifty cents. Why would I ever do that?" And, and and it's just this weird like he got so hooked up on the fact that it was a fifty cent piece. Like, and the only reason they were going for it was because it's a you know it's a bigger thing and easier to flip. It had nothing to do with the actual currency value. Yeah, I think why. I think Wilder especially pays a lot of attention to the semblance of objects and stuff within his film. Like, uh, the apartment's well-decorated. It tells us a lot about this character, that he uses a tennis racket to make spaghetti. Ah, it's a great joke. It's a little great bit. You should see my backhand. By the way, I I don't like that a week later he finds the spaghetti and it's still stringy. This is more of like a cook's thing, but it should be pretty dried up after a day. I'm sorry. No, you're you're 100% right. I notice that all the time, too. And it's just kind of like, hey, that's not how that would work. But comedy rules, you know? If it's funny, funny, you let it go. There's actually a lot of great kind of weird offbeat physical bits like that. There's a there's a great bit where where Jack Lemon squirts like the the nasal spray bottle and just flies <laughs> just across flying. the room. Yeah, that was that right. was actually uh, an improvised moment from Jack Lemon. He he found the way to get that in there. They used <laughs> they used milk as the kind of solution so it would show okay. up on camera. Yeah, that's good. Um, I like how high contrast it, it looks, and I appreciate that they went black and white. They could have easily gone color by now. Mm-hmm, certainly, and he uh, Billy Wilder ended up. D- did do a uh, color films later, like I mentioned, the other team up between Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. Uh, Irma LaDouche is uh, mm-hmm. a color movie. Very brilliant color use as well, very vibrant. But the black and white here is, of course, it's brilliant and the right call. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it makes a certain effect around the characters. I think it really brings Fran out, especially. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and it's interesting, you know, seeing her character, everything, and the dealing with the, the suicide. I love the whole bit where they're trying to wake her up. They're walking her around. Because th- this thing is that there's so many other great side characters here as well. All of the three, um, you know, bosses that he's loaning out the apartment to, they're all funny people. Um, and then the, the neighbor next door. Yeah, uh, the, the doctor. doctor. Oh, he's so great. He's he so is. wonderful. Uh, Dr. Dreyfus, that's his name. Okay. Uh, I love him, you know, helping around there. They're stomping around the place trying to get Fran to wake up. And his wife, uh, what's her name, like Mildred or something, she's amazing. (laughs) Yes, Mildred, they're at it again. (laughs) It's fantastic. They're a great couple. Uh, They're wonderful. So many side characters, they're just all really well written. And that's that's how you know you got something really special as well when you have all those uh, pieces coming together like that. Uh, Just all great great astounding writing this script should be studied because one of the other great things about it is that there's so much great setup and payoff throughout it constantly there's there's oh, lines yeah. that set things up like even from the very beginning the bit with the key the key is the key to it all yeah you know, the opening gag. I mean, you got the key and then you got the mirror as well which is a great bit 
Yeah, there's lots of recurring mirror bits. I love I love the key in particular though because that's like the opening gag idea where the uh, you know the the boss mistakes it for the washroom key and then that's paid off later when when he gives Sheldrake the washroom key back instead of the apartment key. So that kind of comes full circle from beginning to end, reflective of like that. And you've got these uh, other setup payoffs like you've got the gun, the mention of the suicide. It's a that great fake out bit with the the champagne bottle, how those work yeah. together. It's 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 almost kind of cheating. It's a kind of like a cheap thing pulled on you in the last couple of minutes there, but it's great because I, I believe it. I believe it every time it happens. It's like oh shit. I do like the mirror though because my heart drops every time that scene plays with him finding the mirror with the with oh, her. Oh yes, and he gives it back to her. She's got that yeah. great line. That that might be my favorite line in Which the is- whole whole bit there. The line when when she, uh, he says something about the mirror there. Let me find oh. it. Yeah, she says, uh, he says, the mirror, it's broken. And she says, uh, I know, I like it that way. It makes me look the way I feel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, ah! Oh, That's a great line. She has so oh. many great lines because she talks in, you know, small office talk and she uses small words, but they're good. Mm-hmm. I, I have a tendency to want to watch this film around, like, the New Year's Christmas time. The, the movie ends, right, as the, the kind of New Year's is coming in, and I think it's a good film for a send-off of that and a starting into the New Year. There's so many great things about it i don't know i just it's it's one of those weird times i feel frankly lost for words in this case i just can't stop saying how much i love it it's great because they get to spend the christmas together so i can see why it would be in that period it works as a great film like watching between christmas and uh <laughs> new year's i think i guess um, because they it, it hits both events until her brother comes then it's not such a sentimental christmas movie right <laughs> it's less family together but there is that great bit as well that off awful kind of character-defining thing during Christmas where, where Sheldrake... <laughs> like, she, she gets him this nice album that he wants. Yeah. like, oh, well, we'll have to keep it here. I can't bring that home because, you know, the wife and everything. Here's, uh, yeah, here's $100. Go get something you like. And uh, what, what a piece of shit that guy right. is. <laughs> um, How, I do like when he's going to the door. He's just like, uh, you know, I took advantage of you in bed as he opens the door to her brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, he is a little bit of a sleazebag, too, isn't he? <laughs> He just just the slightest bit like uh, th- there is something again inherently sleazy because he is he's basically prostituting his apartment right. to, to work his way up in there. Like how much better is he necessarily? But he and and again it takes someone like Jack Lemon to sell that kind of slightly sleazy character role there, like with sincerity, like because he's just such this wholesome person, this wholesome actor. And if you did it with anyone else, then they would seem super genuinely sleazy like you wouldn't buy the romance then you wouldn't think he's such an innocent person the great thing is that my daughter's been breaking out in fever i feel like the main character of the first half of the movie today oh and yeah I, it's the best cold movie i've ever seen it's the best sickness movie it kind of is because for that whole first half jack lemon's just talking with this stuffy nose and he does such a great job performing of it it's like it's much harder than i think you think it is oh yeah you, I, you sound like him right now <laughs> i know i do and you never get to see characters act real sick in a film. Like a, they're very good at guarding actors from really looking broken down in that way. I, I feel like he sells it completely. Though he totally does. Like just that that little bit of sniffles because he has to sleep out on the bench all night right. because he got locked out of his apartment. I mean, this uh, is really bad for his well-being. Otherwise, we'd really hate him if he didn't get sick there. Is- I think. And they have that good bit. I love that extended bit where he's he's trying to call all the people in the office to reschedule, like so he yeah. can just go home and take a nap. Like his whole week is booked out with people using his apartment to sleep with people. 
Right, it doesn't even matter what he's doing at his job. His job is to lend his apartment. Yeah, he works in in uh, insurance or like some kind of uh, I think yeah. that's the yeah he, he works in insurance, which is another recurring thing in Billy Wilder films. You know, uh, insurance. You know, Fred, yeah, Fred McMurray. He he works in an insurance firm for Double Indemnity. That's like the whole big thing there. That's and what then Double the whole Indemnity thing is with like Cookie for, Fortune Cookie is all insurance, right? Yep. So. Yeah, it's a, about all that. So it's a, obviously another recurring thing here. But the insurers, like the fact that that's his job, like you said, it, it hardly matters. His job is prostituting out his apartment <laughs> right it doesn't like he's not going to get a raise for his work they move him up to to go sit at a desk he doesn't really have a job anymore right and you know he, he becomes assistant like he's just given the assistant position to right. sheldrake by <laughs> yeah. the end just because he you know sheldrake wants access to that i think i saw someone point out like like how much easier would this be just to rent you know a hotel room yeah or to use his side <laughs> office that he gives to him I guess. I mean, like that might be kind of like you risk getting caught that way. Like, I guess it. I guess it he, costs money, right? Like, yeah. You, you'd think though that's how you could do. It. I mean, how do the big businessmen of the world, you know, sleep with all the people they do in in today's world? They certainly aren't borrowing the apartments of all their little peons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think we've made it easier as a society, whether or not it's good. I get. I guess maybe just by accepting extramarital affairs is more of a thing. Yeah, I mean, people I sleep know. outside marriage now, so I think it's more common for a couple to show up at a hotel now than it was in the sixties. Maybe so, uh, but but either way, like the just the the uh, conceit of it there, like even if you know you don't buy the idea necessarily, I think there's a fanciful element of the film that allows it to to kind of take place in it. Like even the idea of the city it takes place. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to take place in New York, but it could be any big metropolitan place. You yeah. Know. Uh, I think someone said that about that. Like, uh, I mean, as long as it's like kind of an American one, I guess the apartment yeah, can't. The apartment can't exist American. outside the country, huh? I mean, the 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 apartmentness in the '60s makes you think New York right away. But other than that, it could be anywhere. I think they say New York in the beginning as well. Like in that beginning think voiceover, so, yeah. he has he he talks about the population of New York City and all that. Like he rattles off all the statistics, but I can't remember exactly because it's not important. That's the thing is that the the establishment of what city it is has no bearing. It's it's really more about the intimate story involved, and again the brilliant blend of comedy and drama. Yeah, I don't know. It's peerless, if you ask me. The apartment is, is such a grand masterpiece, and it's hard enough for me to decide. Like there's there's those four main wilder masterpieces and all of them are difficult to to choose between i i obviously i guess i'll forecast here that sunset boulevard is my all-time favorite film i absolutely love it but you know the apartment and some like it hot and double them they all come up real fast right behind it on the heels there yeah i think i i'd have this side with sunset and then um well maybe well last weekend then this one i'd say it's it's hard to pick. I mean, Lost Weekend obviously has a very personal thing to you. I, I'll be interested in discussing that more in the future. Uh, yeah, we could probably do a piece on that eventually. Yeah, yeah so, something like that. I'll be interested in it. I think your perspective on it is, is invaluable. But it, just picking between this and like the comedy silence of Some Like It Hot as well, because that one's just yeah, full, it's hard. full manic comedy. It's hard, because they're very different films, but they're also very perfect in their own ways. You might choose a different Wilder on a different day, depending on how you feel. If I you totally the, would. Like, if you want the uh, seasonal comedy, you might watch this half the year. Some like it hot during the summer, eh? I, th- I think I'll say this, is that The Apartment might be the best thing Wilder and Diamond ever wrote. It's, it's yeah. flawless on a, on a script level with how 
great it is, how much, how many balls it's juggling, how the the wittiness of it, how it pays off everything it sets up flawlessly. It's all grand, and greatly executed. I think he he's got films with maybe bigger ambitions. That's not to say this has small ambitions. It's certainly a great you know story, but about all these three characters and you know has his greater things kind of bubbling under the surface. But you know, it's it's, it's basically I don't, I don't know how else to say it. It's, <laughs> There's so many perfect films from Billy Wilder. How do you make me pick just one? Yeah, I mean, writing-wise, you could look at that, but how about ending-wise? Should we should we wrap up and look at the end? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, uh, I, I think I, I said this before on, uh, somewhere else, maybe not on the podcast, but I found uh, recently I like this idea that Billy Wilder is like the opposite of Hitchcock in terms of endings, whereas Hitchcock kind of comes up short sometimes or doesn't know how to end a film or just or just kind of quickly rushes mm-hmm. to a conclusion. Billy Wilder just nails every single ending, usually with an iconic final line. You've got the famous, famous one from Some Like It Hot, the, the Nobody's Perfect line, which just sends that sailing off into the sunset beautifully. But, uh, but the apartment comes up real close mm-hmm. there with its final line, where it's kind of everything, everything again, again comes together. I mentioned the gun gag earlier with the champagne, mm-hmm. and like all these things happen in the final ten minutes that just you know kind of bring everything back together. And then you got the great payoff finally with the uh, the gin game, and she's got the, the famous line as well. She says, "Shut up and deal." Right, <laughs> and he's like, uh, he's going all in again, like he does in the relationship. He's like, "I really adore you. I, yeah, I think like, I, I love absolutely you. Absolutely love you. Yeah, yeah." And uh, she's well. You get to see what she really thinks because she takes off her jacket, right? And she shows that she's submitting to this relationship in some way. Well, you see it when she's running to meet him. When she yeah. when she realizes that Baxter is is the mensch that he's meant to be. When she when uh, you know Sheldrake kind of reveals he's like you know he threw that big promotion in my face. He gave me back the key and all that. He and says especially that he won't let him use the apartment with her, yeah. and that's where it really clicks with her. Especially, you know, Miss Kubrick and right. me. Yep, that's what he says along that. And and it's this realization for this great running back, you know, to to be with him uh, on New Year's. I think it is as this one ends. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it makes it a great seasonal film too. Going into the fall, we're in like the first couple of days of fall, so it's oh, a good time you, for it. You see, as well, like I said, there's that great shot of him sitting on the bench, and there's just the, the fall leaves coming down as he's getting miserably sick in the cold. <laughs> Good time to start cold season as I, I get catch a flu as my method acting for the podcast. <laughs> no, it's just such a, a a wonderful thing. I wish I could show myself here because I'm just my face is lit up. <laughs> That's all. great. I'm I'm so excited to talk about this again. When when you mentioned it, I I was out bouncing off the walls because I love 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 the apartment. I'm I love that you loved it so much. It's oh my god, it's so wonderfully affirming. Oh, I I'm so glad too because this is what the podcast is really for—to share things that we love and to find you know uh, maybe that one of the one of the other of us finds some value in our one of our favorite things. This is our most optimistic podcast yet. <laughs> it has been. It's been great. I think that's just what Billy Wilder does when I watch the films. I fall in love with the words, and I feel warm about it. Yeah, he's a brilliant writer and a gr- amazing director, and he's just so in tune with his talents here and you know uh, everyone involved in the production. He doesn't do it alone, but, man, does he stand out as a singular talent. I mean, we've done a lot of Lou Med already, but I could see Wilder becoming a podcast favorite as we go on. I hope so. I, I sincerely hope so. We'll have to pick out some some great ones to discuss in the future. I think this is one of the the great ones to talk about first of all the ones we yeah, can pick. It's a great this start. Was, 
Mm-hmm. I, I agree, certainly. I'm excited to talk about future uh, Wilder films with you. But for, for the next couple uh, weeks here, we'll be looking at our horror stuff. Yeah. We get into the spookiest month of the year. Yeah, and uh, I guess uh, as we go, I'll find out more Wilder films I've actually watched, so that'll be exciting for me. I guess that's it. I'm excited. Before the end of the year, I'll have seen them all. I've he's, okay. he's got tw- 25 films in total. I've seen all but his last two, Fedora and Buddy Buddy. So yeah, I'm uh, about I'm about 10 that I know of, but he's he keeps surprising me. That's that's pretty great. You've seen some ones that a lot of people haven't checked out yet, and I, I recommend almost all of them. I will say there's yeah. a couple I don't like, but that's you know very impressive. even those seem okay. Yeah, I think I, I've heard good things about all of them like i haven't i've not heard a general consensus that oh this is a bad film film from wilder i have films that i don't like but generally sure he's he's lauded as a director there's some mediocre ones but of course there's too many masterpieces to, to even concern but the fact that he's got four you know alone that just make these top 10 lists of all times or maybe not top 10 but top 100 um you know it's significant how many other directors can have that many masterpieces very few, and I think that's just the way it crumbles cookie-wise.